how do I want my business to feel, you know, to me? Hey, my name is Felix Tia, and I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn how to know which business to focus on when you've started multiple businesses, how to think bigger as an e-commerce entrepreneur, and what is a micro-ambassador program and how it grew her revenue by 600%. Today, I'm joined by Cindy Collins from Euphoric Herbals. Euphoric Herbals makes herbal products for a woman and their family specializing in pregnancy and postpartum and generated $380,000 in revenue in 2017 and was started in 2010 based out of Milford, Delaware. Welcome, Cindy. Hi, Felix. How are you? Good. So you mentioned that you got started by, it was kind of a hobby of yours and you were going to craft shows and got started on Etsy. So that's, that's tell, us, tell us a little more about this. How did this hobby turn into a, a, a business over time? Sure. Well, the, the hobby started after my second son was born. And at that time I was um, making herbal products and herbal tea. And I really got into it during my first pregnancy, mostly making products that were just for myself. And then after I became a doula, uh, I started making products for my clients that I was serving. Then it became to my family and my friends. And I always liked creating and crafting things. So, you know, naturally I would think, well, I'm going to sell these products. I'm going to go to uh, farmer's markets and craft shows. Um, And then eventually I started selling on Etsy in 2010, just as a, it was a hobby because at that time I had three young children. Um, My third son was born in April, 2011. Um, so I just started selling on Etsy a little bit here and there and, um, and locally at different crashes and events. Um, so that's how it originally began. And now it's, it's much different than that. Yeah. So you said you had three children at the time that you got started? Three, three children. And I actually had, um, three businesses as well. So how did you squeeze in the time? Well, um, yeah, none of the businesses really were really demanding full-time work even part-time work. So it was just a little bit here and there, things I enjoyed doing. So I was doing photography part-time and I was a, a doula attending births part-time and then just creating herbal products on the side. So it was just kind of whenever, but it was really after the birth of my third son was born that I realized, okay, I can't do this all. You know, I'm only one person and having three young children running three businesses and, um, you know, and my husband, he was working full-time, part-time and doing his master's degree. I was like, there's not the kind of life that I really want to have. So I kind of really started to focus and have a shift, you know, and that kind of came about when um, one of my customers had asked me to create a product for them. They said, can you, you know, create a lactation blend? I used to be, um, did lactation counseling at local hospitals. So I was very familiar with that. I also studied herbalism you know, personally, just for my own, you know, desire to learn more about the herbs that I was using, um, never intended to do it on a professional level. And I said, yeah, sure. I think I can do that. You know, so I created a lactation blend, created a formula and packaged it, um, you know, and sent it to them for feedback, but then also would send it to other testers because I really wanted to get a wide variety of people based on their health circumstances and situations to test these products, test this new product that I had created. Um, and give me feedback on it if I wanted something I wanted to regularly sell. And I got really good feedback on it. And I just thought, well, maybe this is something I could add to my product collection. You know, at that time was just herbal teas and herbal salves. And so then I added that in there and that new product development, the lactation, that was the first product of my lactation collection, really set me on a whole new path and trajectory that I never expected. Was it like sales you're talking about that just like, hey, this is like going to be this is something that's worth investing time in because it was doing so well in terms of selling? Yeah, well, it was sales. So that was a big part of it, that it started selling more than my other products. Um, and so that demanded more attention and focus. You know, And so as it demanded more attention and focus, I started thinking about, well, what if I just did this, you know, or just did kind of herbal products? I was starting to get tired of trying to have three businesses, realizing that I only have a finite amount of energy and time. Um, and then people would ask for more products, you know, like, can you create another lactation blend without this specific herb or this specific ingredient in it? Um, you know, I said, yeah, absolutely. I'll give it a try. And it started kind of growing between that was just kind of a lot more of what I was doing. 
Um, and it was much more easier for me as a mother with young children, especially a new baby, to be able to do this from the comfort of my own home, from the convenience of, you know, if they were taking naps or at school or something like that, where it's much more harder to fit in being on call as a doula and scheduling photography shoots. So this was much more convenient for my lifestyle at the time. Got it. So it demanded more attention and focus, but you could be, could have been in a situation where it demanded time and, and your attention, but then you also still wanted to, you still could have done everything else that you were doing to then spread yourself completely thin. What made you decide, you know what, I'm going to, instead of spreading myself thin, I'm going to just double down and focus on one thing. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, it was really hard when I, I loved everything that I was doing. And initially when I kind of started in this industry of working with mothers and baby, my whole goal was eventually to become a home birth midwife. And that's what I thought I was really called to do. Um, and then after I started having really good feedback and results and success in the products that I was creating and the difference it was making, you know, in my customers' lives, and that really just filled my soul. And I just thought, okay, you know what, what is the one thing that only I can do, that only I can do, that no one else can do? If I had to choose something, because I really have to focus at this point if I want to have a bigger impact. Um, and I thought, well, you know, there's doulas in my community and anybody can become a doula. It's not super challenging, you know? And I thought, well, and anybody who gets a camera can become a photographer or thinks they're a photographer. I said, there's plenty of those people in this industry. And I thought, if I were to stop creating these products that I'm creating, that I would get these feedback and testimonials from customers that would just, you know, make me want to cry. I think there'd be a negative gap in the marketplace and that would be the biggest impact that I could make, um, you know, in a different way, support the, the quote unquote birth community from a totally different, you know, perspective and different angle and create advocacy and awareness from a different, you know, way, but still creating products. Um, so that was something that I said, I'm going to focus on this. And once I decided to focus and that's when I saw a huge shift you know, in my business, you know, is no longer trying to put my energy in all these different places. Um, that's when my business really started to grow. Got it. So I like that question that you asked yourself, which is what's the one thing only I can do at that time? And maybe even today, was there no competition out there? Like, was there no alternative for people that wanted the same uh, solutions for their, their problems? Yeah, there are definitely um, other alternative, you know, brands and companies and products in the marketplace that definitely serve the same same need. Um, there wasn't there at the time. I felt like there wasn't, and sometimes maybe there's still not it's the same company that's making everything from um, into you know preconception into menopause for women. So there might be companies that focus on a specific niche, maybe just pregnancy and postpartum. But I really wanted to serve women and their families in a much more greater capacity. You know, even if it's a product that I personally use, but it felt like something that my sister might need or my aunt might need um, or something I might need in the future. So I just didn't want it to consider only me being my ideal consumer, you know. Um, so I wanted to consider it in a different way. So there was alternative options, but there wasn't, you couldn't go to one company and buy everything that you needed. Um, and so that's, and a lot of my lactation blends, even though they're about 85% of what I sell, they actually came last. Everything else came first. So all of my herbal teas that I created and all the different topical salves I created all came before the lactation blends. Got it. So can you walk us through the, the, uh, the new products you introduced? What was the very first thing that you introduced that was selling? And then how did you start branching out to other products, other almost categories that, that uh, you start adding to your store? Yeah. So um, the very first products I started creating were products that I used personally. So it was like an herbal tea for pregnancy, an herbal tea for postpartum. Then I would make a, a topical herbal salve, an ointment for my baby. Um, and so I had just created herbal teas and it was like, I wanted to find herbal teas. It's really hard to find, you know, a specific product that could say for pregnancy or postpartum. Um, so I would do the research, you know, through the resources that I had and the textbooks that I had of what was herbs that were safe for me to use that would be safe for pregnancy and postpartum. And so these were products that I personally used and then my clients used. And then when the lactation blend came, the first one, which was called, which is called Dairy Fairy, um, you know, someone asked for that and someone asked for an alternative option without a specific herb, which was fenugreek, you know, and so then I developed a, a sister blend, if you will, of Dairy Diva. So after about two years of having Dairy Fairy and Dairy Diva, um, somebody asked for an alternative blend that would be much more suitable for someone that might have um, be, be sensitive to hormones or sensitive to birth control or may have a history of um, polycystic ovarian syndrome, which those different health concerns 
um, conditions impact milk supply. So then I created a a blend of herbs and superfood called Milk Machine. At the same time, I just created a symbiotic blend, um, you know, called Lush Leche. So those two blends, you know, I created those maybe um, that was 2013, 2013, 2014, I created those blends. Um, so that was kind of the evolution since then. I might have created maybe one more product. I think maybe like a, a staff called Muscle Men. Since then, it's just really focusing on refining those products. Um, I haven't created any products in quite a few years because I've just been so busy trying to build and scale and create infrastructure and systems and getting to really refine the the product process of creation. Right. So was it really just like one person that would come to you and say, hey, I would love if you could offer this as well. And then you just kind of dove right in or were, were there multiple people or was there something specific that people were saying that made you say, okay, let me do this one instead of all the other potential product ideas? Right. Well, it was multiple different people. So after a while, if somebody of different people would ask for the same thing, obviously I started paying attention. Okay. Well, someone keeps asking me, you know, for, for a tea that for, for headaches, that's safe for pregnancy and safe for nursing, you know? Um, so after a while, after a couple of clients would ask for that, you know, whether it's doula clients or customers that would purchase online, you know, we listen to them. I'd say, absolutely. If they're going to tell me what they want, and I have the means and the ability and the skills to create it, why wouldn't I, you know, and it wasn't too, too much different than what I was doing, you know, so I'd create a, a, a product and a formula, you know, and test it. So always when I created a new product, I always wanted to, of course, have a, people test the product to see if I needed to tweak it or change the formula a little bit. Got it. So you mentioned that you've you've uh, essentially paused on growing the catalog and you're now trying to go deep and focus on business building to make it more scalable, build out that foundation, build out those systems. What made you shift and say, this is the more important thing for us to focus on as a business? Um, I think when, when my, so for a long time, my business was run out of my home. I like this big bonus room above my garage where I would build and create products. And when it was starting to grow and beyond the capacity of that room, I said, you know what, there's a lot of foundational things. If I'm really going to scale this business, I need to work on, you know, the, the unfun, unfun parts of creating mm-hmm. a business, you know, so that's systems, that's infrastructure, um, looking at what are the things that I can scale? What are the things that I need to outsource that I can't do anymore? You know, as somebody who is considered, I consider myself to be a maker. So outsourcing certain parts of the product and hiring people was, was really challenging for me, but now it's really one of the best things. And it was so liberating to get to that point. And, Right. Yeah. Being a maker is a great way for for people to start right there. The makers are always starting things, but then once it gets to the point where they have to essentially give up the the more creative side that really drew them in in the first place, it's really hard. So what were some of the first things that you looked at and said, okay, I I cannot be doing this anymore? Yeah. Well, I've always had, um, ever since uh, my third son was born. I've always had some part-time assistant. So whether that was a, a friend's daughter that would come over after high school and help me a little bit. So it was just kind of like, let's fill the immediate need right now. And I wasn't at that point, I was not really thinking vision and long-term like I can now. I didn't have the capacity to do that. Um, and, you know, so now it's only been a couple of years where I've been able to um, outsource part of the product production where it's like my capsules. I couldn't keep up with that. We were doing that all by hand and always behind creating herbal capsules and supplements. Um, and I didn't even know how to grow and scale that. You know, I didn't know what I didn't know. So I was very naive at the time going, I know I'm supposed to keep doing this. I don't know how, and but I know it's got to be, it's got to change for me to continue and I've got to scale it, you know? So I eventually would go to um, an expo, a natural product expo and got connected with a um, contract manufacturer that would help me create the products on a scale level. Um, and so that in itself changed the revolution of my business. I felt like then I was able to kind of the people that I had working for me at the time, they were all part-time and they still have just part-time employees able to use them and utilize them in a different way. So that way we could meet the demand faster. And then I could focus on different areas of my business. Um, you know, and as things have change and grow. And I really think, okay, what is, I hire when and where it hurts, you know? So if something's taking a lot of my time and I'm not the most efficient or effective at it, I feel like, okay, well, that's where I need to hire for. I need to hire for those types of people and position. If I'm not the most skilled at it, or it's going to consume too much of my time. And then I can't think of, you know, managing, you know, the employees that work for me 
and scaling my business because I'm too busy responding to, you know, emails or running ads or things like that, um, or doing just things on social media, I can outsource those things, you know, even though I might enjoy it, it doesn't mean I'm the best person for it. So I have to remind myself and reflect on that a lot. Right. And it's also really easy to create a very long to-do list based on the nagging problems that are right in your face, but then it's much harder to do what you're talking about, which which is almost to think bigger, to think vision and finding solutions for problems that are going to come up. Maybe not, maybe it's not here right now. Maybe it's not hurting your business now, but then you, if you don't spend a time on, on trying to build solutions today, you won't be ready when the problem actually comes. How did you, what were you doing on a day-to-day basis? What were you doing to, to take time aside to, to think about these things. How did you even begin to make that shift from thinking tactically day to day to more what's our plan in the next six months? Hmm. You know, I think making that shift for me was a lot of internal work. So, you know, so I think, um, you know, listening to books, listening to podcasts, kind of really getting myself in that, you know, the psychology of going, what is it, you know, what my business looks like this right now, but what does it mean for my business in, in, three years or in a year or five years or 10 years. And what does that require of me? Cause right now I'm not there. Um, and I have to get to that point. Um, and so just thinking, okay, what are the tools and the resources that I need, you know? And so, you know, that requires, okay, so books and reading and courses, but that also means reaching out to local agencies where I've gone to, um, like the local small business administration, you know, and score office and go, listen, I don't know what you guys can offer me. And this was just even a year ago. So not that long ago, I said, you know, I don't know what you guys can offer me, but what things do you have available that I might need in the future? You know, I don't need them right mm-hmm. now. I feel mm-hmm. kind of solid now. Um, but until they tell you what you have, you know what? And then those things come up. So for example, I went to this local, you know, small business administration a year ago, and then they networked me with the, um, the, director of the World Trade Center in Delaware, who later has introduced me to the director of this Exportet program. So it's a three-month program about exporting, which is starting this fall, you know, in September of, you know, 2018. So that's a three-month program that's limited to a very few people, but they help you put together a solid strategy for exporting to, you know, buyers and brokers in different countries and really assessing your, um, those countries to make sure that's a good place for your product to go to and really consider any barriers and to exporting and customs and tariffs that I don't know about right now at all. So it's so easy for me to ship direct to consumer. I've shipped direct to consumer to 58 countries, but I have no idea what it means to scale and export, you know, on a distribution level to another country. So that's why I try to find the next people that can really help me along in that journey even if I don't need it right now, but maybe in six months I'm there or maybe in a year I'm there. Right. Are there any books or thought leaders that, that you're a big fan of that have helped you in, in your business? So the one that comes to mind, so I really like Simon Sinek, um, you know, and that's really just about leadership model. And so mm-hmm. I do have, you know, team members who work for me. And so while it's so important to build the the business and the products and the infrastructure, obviously focusing really important on the people that I'm serving them who work for me, is very important to me in building a company culture um, because without company culture, I think a business can crumble really quickly. So that's one thing I have, um, you know, that I listen, I've read all of his books and listen to podcasts and interviews and things like that. Um, you know, another kind of, I look at other business models that are a bit different to mine, but I can, they really inspire me. So I might listen and read books that are relevant to that specific com- company. So um Dogfish Head is a local craft beer company here in Delaware, and I love the way that the business has been built and scaled in their company culture. So, you know, I've read books by the um, the by the founder of that company. Um, so, and then also, of course, like um, the E Myth by Michael Gerber. I remember reading that a couple of years ago, and I had an epiphany, going, "Oh my gosh, I'm a small business owner, and I want to be an entrepreneur, and those are not the same things." What's the difference? Well, I, the small business really depends on the that individual who started it, you know, and so trying to, that's where the systems and infrastructure comes in going, I want my business to be able, my company to be able to run without me there, nurturing it on a daily basis. I was going to jump in. I think this is, this is another potential uh, conflict with makers where when you start talking about becoming an entrepreneur and then you are trying to create a business that doesn't need you anymore you got to separate, you start separating yourself from the, the baby that you created, right? What, what was that process like? You know, any suggestions that you have for someone that just cannot think of a business that they created and be able to separate themselves from it? Yeah. 
Yeah. And that is really challenging because sometimes we're, you know, the girls who, the people who work for me, um, you know, they will be doing a task and a chore. And sometimes I'm envious because I've got to take a phone call or I've got to pay taxes. I want to do all these other things or make these appointments and, you know, just have these meetings that are not so fun. And sometimes I might miss going, oh, I wish I could make that sub or I wish I could make that tea or I wish I could be shipping. But at the same time, I have to remember I'm creating opportunities for other people. And so while I'm not getting to that specific task of creating at the moment, um, you know, I'm creating work that gives purpose to something just beyond me. You know, I'm creating a company where they can come and they can work and they can enjoy their jobs. Um, which is really important to me to create a, a fun workplace atmosphere. And so I can't focus on, it can't just all be about me and finding my own fulfillment. It has to create fulfillment for other people. So it's so hard to let go of that. But knowing if I really want to grow and scale this, I have to look beyond myself and outside of myself. Mm. What's something that you know you to give up, like a problem that you have today, not a problem, a, a task or activity that you do today, you know you have to give up, but you're just holding on to for dear life right now? Hmm. Let's see. Well, so we uh, are just opening the first herbal apothecary in Delaware. So it's our first retail store. And so right now I know that um, I will be the person that's kind of manning it to start, but I know I have to train associates to mm-hmm. run here and man the apothecary because I can't be the only person because I have to, you know, mind manufacturing and I have to mind shipping and then I'm going to have to mind a store and I'm only one person. So I love the idea of really um, serving customers and clients when they come into the apothecary and helping them find the products that they need and engaging them and getting to know them. I can't be that only person. So if I want to grow this apothecary to meet the community to its full capacity, I'm going to have to let that go. And it's not even open yet. We're opening like in a week or two. So it's very new. And so I have these ideas of what it's going to be like. It may be very different than what I'm saying right now. <laughs> I can just, you know, assume what it's going to be like. In reality, it'll be totally different. Um, but I know that's something that I'm going to have to let go is that I can't be at the store all the time serving customers because there's so much bigger things that I'm have to consider if I'm growing and scaling, if I'm traveling to trade shows, um, you know, which is something that we're kind of starting to explore, but you know, what does that look like to go wholesale, you know, beyond just direct customer. Um, so finding those people, I just, yeah, that's what I'm, I have to consider all those things. And it's not easy to do that at all. Mm. Now, where, where do you go to, to hire employees? Word of mouth. Um, mostly. Um, so that's where I've had really good, I've been really blessed with the people that have worked with me. Um, I haven't had any problems. So it's really been word of mouth. Um, but I've also done interviewing and just kind of, um, and being very careful about who I interview. So currently we're hiring a sales associate position at the apothecary. Um, and this is the first time I've done this in a retail setting. I've never ran a retail store before, so this will be a new adventure, and um, to keep it on point with the brand, you know, but that's also relevant to the community. And so letting people turn in their resumes, but knowing from who have hired in the past of kind of, um, you know, making those barriers where it used to be just so easy to apply. So making it a little bit more challenging to apply for positions, um, you know, it is going to be, it's good, but it's, you know, um, it's different where people just turn in an application and now they actually have to send in resumes and references and cover letters. And I'm going, Oh my gosh, four years ago, four years ago, I probably didn't apply for my own position. You know, I wouldn't <laughs> have a clue how to do that. Are you, are you mostly hiring part-time employees or are there full-time employees that you also have on the team? Yeah. Part-time. I haven't had a, I don't have a need just yet. I think one is slowly turning into my first full-time employee. Um, but it's always been part-time, like one day here, two days here, but now everybody has a schedule. Everybody has a schedule of where they're at, what department they're working in, what they're doing. Um, so we've become much more systematized before it used to be fly by the seat of my pants, you know, what fires are we putting out today? Um, but now obviously we can forecast, you know, what we need to do longer term, you know, and think, you know, um, weeks and months ahead into product production. And um, yeah, so that's kind of the process at the moment. Got it. Do you think business owners typically hire employees too early or, or too late? I think too late. Um, you know, I think definitely it's it could be too too late because it's just, um, I know that I put it off for so long, you know, and sometimes we don't realize that adding that that employee in to the, the, into the business could really free that business center up to do other things that are more valuable. 
and really considering how valuable time it is, you know? And so, um, you know, we all have valuable time, but my time as the business owner and the creator, uh, you know, of the company casting vision is much more valuable than me shipping orders at this current time, you know? So I eventually will have a full-time person, you know, and I, I, you know, I dream about what that person will be like. And for me, that's a general manager, you know, and I think about for someone, so I, I'm already think I've been thinking about that for about a year now and just thinking, okay, when I'm ready, what, it, what is my, what do my, what does my revenue have to look like? Um, to be able to to pay for a salary or the hourly pay of a general manager who actually has experience, you know, because I don't have time to train a general manager. Um, I've never been a general manager. I've just created a company. So I, you know, so I definitely think about that long term, you know, having a general manager, being a full-time person who can oversee all the departments when I'm not available and keep things running smoothly. You know, if at some point I want to take a vacation, <laughs> yeah, I've heard this uh, concept or way of thinking where is if you want to become a, a million dollar person, you have to start thinking and treating your time as if it were that that pressure, that expensive. If it was, you know, I'm not sure what it breaks down to, but let's say your time's worth a thousand dollars an hour, would you pay someone a thousand dollars an hour to pack? Know, boxes, right? If that's if that's not something that you would pay, then that's not good use of your time. So as you start wanting to become a larger and larger, you got to value your time much, much more, and grow that over time. That's that's exactly what you're talking about. So let's jump back to 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 the beginning. So three hundred eighty thousand dollars in 2017, just last year. What were you doing the very first year? Like, what's what gives an idea of like where you started, like in terms of revenue? Um, I think in 2011, because I was not I was not tracking or monitoring anything before 2011. Um, I, 2011, I think I did somewhere around maybe $3,000. That was probably online craft shows, everything. And to me, that felt amazing and tremendous, you know, and um, I was so happy. And I still am. I've learned to be with every stage of growth to be content, you know, because um, I feel like it could all good go away tomorrow, you know. So I'm super content with the stages of growth and development that's been in. So 2011, it was about 3000 Dollars, I want to say, and then um, in 2014, um, and I can't remember the specific things, but it grew up over time. I think it was like 2012. It might have been like maybe five thousand. I did in revenue for the whole year. Um, of course, that's not profit because I didn't even calculate expenses mm-hmm. and profit at that time. I did not know. I might be losing money. Who knows? I had no idea. Yeah. You know, I didn't even know my cost of goods. I didn't know my profit margin. I didn't know any of that. Now I know that to the penny. So I know all of that to the penny now. And um, 2014, I think it was probably, I want to say, maybe about twenty, maybe 30000 in 2014. And then, you know, I remember starting thinking about, well, um, I started really using social media more for my business at that time and doing um, Facebook and Instagram. And Instagram, I really feel like, is my international bridge. And that's where a lot of our international customers have come from. You know, we've shipped direct two customers to 58 countries. You know, never in my wildest, my, my wildest dreams would I ever think that was possible to have customers in 58 countries. Um, and so as I started developing a lot of customers on Instagram, I thought, well, I see a lot of big companies who are super corporate um, and they have a big marketing budget and they have brand ambassadors and brand advocates and they pay a lot of money. Well, why couldn't I use my current customer base who are already loyal fans and and those who, those who want to buy the products, but they can't afford it? Why can't I create a program to give them the opportunity to use the products to, um, you know, create an incentive and to give them, you know, some product in return for that? And so, you know, I think it's about six months, 2014. I really took six months to tweak out what that would look like, how that would fill, how long should the the program be for a single ambassador. Um, And yeah, so then in 2015, that's when I really, really got it figured out. And that's when I saw a huge jump from 2014 to 2015. Right. You told us that the orders jumped by eight times and revenue jumped by six times once you really got this ambassador program rolling. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, it was, it was tremendous. So, I mean, I was, um, yeah, once I got it rolling, I just saw the order number just climb and climb and climb and steadily over 2015. I think 2015, I did um, two. I want to say it was 200, it was about 200,000, I think, maybe, maybe it was less than, I can't remember, but it was a, it was a tremendous amount. An inflection point in the business. Yeah. And then I was just like, how oh, this thing I'm building with part-time employees and only me is full-time. 
this is phenomenal. What is the potential? I had no idea that was possible. Then I started to really learn how to dream and cast vision long-term beyond just the day-to-day and the week-to-week. And the next month, what do I want my business to be next year? And then the year after that. So now I try to cast vision for like five years ahead. So it's much different than it was in 2014, 2015. Yeah, I've heard you say this a couple of times on oh, casting vision. I've never heard of it described that way, yeah. but it's it's it's, a, it's a very descriptive in my head when I hear when I hear you say this. What were you doing? Maybe what kind of what kind of thinking were you doing when you first started casting vision? And nowadays, how do you try to make that as wide or as large as possible? Yeah. So um, you know, just dreaming about how do I want my business to feel? You know, to me, what does it mean to my life? How does it impact my lifestyle? you know, um, the people that work with me and work for me, the customers that I serve, you know, and so, you know, and thinking long-term, like, you know, legacy, you know, what impact does that have in my community as a whole and, you know, to the marketplace, you know, so for me, that's casting vision. So I'm thinking about, um, you know, where we've created um, a, a couple of programs where I created a midwifery scholarship program that I've done it three years in a row. And to me, you know, doing that on a long-term strategy is where I have, a scholarship program where I get to choose midwives and we just to choose different um, organizations. You know, for me, that's casting vision about what impact I'm making in the marketplace to people and agencies and organizations, you know, and, and kind of mission work in just a very different way through my business. Got it. So when I usually hear vision in business, people usually say, oh, I want to build a million dollar business, but you're talking about what kind of impact I can make with a business and then that kind of just trickles down into building a business that can impact the community impact your community in the way that you want it to absolutely yeah absolutely so you know so revenue is great you know and it's great to have a wonderful business that creates revenue that's profitable you know and now i'm able to pay myself a salary which i didn't pay myself for years um, you know, I always paid all the people I had assistance and so they would help me. I always pay them, but I was able to eventually start paying myself a salary, which is, is amazing. Um, but you know, when I think about the impact that I'm making in the, in my community, so we just opened an apothecary, um, you know, and, um, and so it's our retail store, but it's so much more than what we have online. You know, it's where it's the loose bulk herbs and it's the raw materials and it's the product packaging for other makers in the community. If they want to come in, um, you know, what can this apothecary do for the community? So other than creating products, you know, and having, uh, holding classes for them, can, you know, are there different associations in my community that I can partner with as a business and give back to them and create kind of a giving campaign through this retail location, um, you know, which would alternate on a regular basis. So, you know, we serve a lot of mothers and babies, you know, that's a big part of our client base. So naturally there's an, I'm going to look for something that's that is in harmony with that. So there's a place called mom's house. And so that serves single mothers as they're going back to school. So that way they can provide childcare for them. You know, it's a nonprofit organization. So those are different organizations like that, that I'm going to look to partner with so I can kind of serve my community as well through our retail location. Got it. So I want to jump back to that ambassador program that really took your 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 business to the next level. So how do yeah. you start if someone has you know maybe a small customer base and they're like, hey, I want to be able to to build an ambassador program as well? Where, where do you start? Well, I think um, you know I think you just start with just a handful of customers who are um, that are really love your product and that really are a fan of you and your business. I think reaching out to them directly and going, hey, you know, I really want to grow my my business you know, would you be willing to help me in exchange for some, you know, product or some store credit? I think that's an easy way to do that. Or maybe there's a different perk that would be, would work for that specific customer, depending on what the business is, you know, so just having a very candid conversation um, and just saying, I, you know, I'd like for you to help me. I think you're really great. You know, that customer is just a fan who's going to be a fan, no matter what you do and make those are the types of customers that I really look for. Ideally. I mean, the type of ambassadors, um, and it doesn't have to be like when people think of ambassador programs, I think they naturally think, oh, I need somebody that has 10,000 followers or 100,000 followers or a million or whatever it is. I really feel like micro ambassadors and micro influencers who are brand loyal and loyal to your products. I feel like those are the best ones, um, at least from my experience, having done this now for three years and having worked with a variety of um, influencers, if you will, online. But usually just trying people who are regular 
users of my product um, or just dying to try my product, but maybe they have limited funds, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so those are the people that I'm typically going to choose. But starting out with literally one or two, it doesn't have to be a large amount of people that you, that you partner with for influencers or ambassadors, um, you know, and then working out what does that structure and system look like as you scale it beyond one or two, maybe three or four and then 10, you know, and always a finite amount. I saw when I started the ambassador program, originally it was for like, I thought a six month duration. Well, the life cycle of my customer may not be six months, you know, knowing that if they're using my products and primarily most of them are nursing or pumping, they have a, they may be for six months, but depending on when they become a customer of mine, they might have three months left or they might have six months or a year left. I don't know, you know, but at the same time, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm choosing new people, new customers and giving people new opportunities, you know? And so maybe there's, I've had over a thousand people apply to become an ambassador of, of the influencer program that I created over a thousand way too. And I've obviously not chosen them all because it's so many people. I mean, if you could sustain it, is there a, a downside to having a thousand? Yeah. Well, it's hard to manage them all. Yeah. I mean, I've never had more than probably 15 active ambassadors or influencers at a time. Never, never more than 10 or 15 because I want to make sure if they have needs or questions that I can answer those for them, you know, until uh, you know, I find like an assistant that can be able to take over that at some point. Well, I enjoy doing it. I can't continue to do it if I'm going to grow and scale my business. So it's something I have to think about. How can I teach this to somebody else to do, you know, as I've been building it and changing it and tweaking it a little bit here and there. Um, so yeah, never more than 10 to 15 at a time because then I couldn't manage them all in addition to all the stuff that I actually have to do. And I don't even do it every month. I do it as I have time. So sometimes I might be two or three months ago, you know what? Right now, it's so it's definitely helpful for my business and the traction and the traffic it brings to my website and the revenue. But at the same time, it just might be a very stressful time for me to do true ambassadors. Like during the summertime, I have three boys home with me all the time. And so that's a really stressful, very intense time for me. So for me to choose ambassadors at that time consistently is very hard to give them attention for what they need for that 30-day cycle. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that you don't need to look for ambassadors to have 10,000, 100,000 followers. But yeah. there, there has to be like yeah. a threshold though, right? Like what if someone wants to, to, to enroll and they got like 10 people and they're all like their friends or family? Like is that, is there a, a limit that you at least try to respect? Definitely. Well, I, you know, I want to make sure like if I'm evaluating someone going, are they going to be a good ambassador? Like I have a really good memory. So are they engaging with my post and my social Mm. media, my different Facebook, or they've already, are they already a current existing customer? What's their engagement? How often are they on, you know, whatever social media platform that I'm going to run my ambassador program on. So for me, I use Instagram. It's very, it's, it's, that's where a lot of my customers are hanging out at. You know, I considered other ways to do ambassador programs and different social media platforms. But I felt like Instagram is um, is just easiest for me, you know. Um, and so, you know, I look at, okay, how often are they posting? How often are they online? What are their engagement rates? Um, you know, so what's their activity rate? If they're going to log on to Instagram, you know, maybe once a week or maybe once every 10 days, they're not ideal for me. Someone who's really highly engaged and loves Instagram as much as I do. Got it. What's like the smallest following that you've uh, allowed, I guess, into your ambassador program? Probably less than 200, you know, it's probably less than 200 followers. So not a lot, you know, but as long as they, you know, I kind of give them a strategy and a plan to kind of how to execute it, you know, so as long as they can follow the strategy and plan, you know, um, I'm fine with that. You know, I felt like I've done, I've worked with other, you know, influencers and ambassadors, you know, on a much more um, on a casual level, but also on kind of like, oh, let's pay for you to be an influencer for this post. And um, I felt like I got more engagement and more activity from the micro influencers and the micro ambassadors um, who would do it anyways, you know, not because they're looking to grow a following, you know, or they're looking to get paid to post this. Yeah. I think there's also some kind of um, ad blindness when you are working with an influencer that's just churning through products and they have a new one every week. People start, uh, if you're you know following someone, they've only promoted one product ever, where for the first time you've only seen them promote it once, then it's going to be more impactful than someone that's always churning out new new products that they're promoting. So when you do have an employee that you're delegating this to, what, what would be the first thing you want to teach them? Um, I'd probably teach them on you know, how to evaluate potential candidates for the ambassador program. So like how to look through it, 
you know, um, and how to evaluate their social media profiles, um, look at have they been a customer before or is this their first time? So there's a, we have a form that's on my website. Anybody can check it out, the questions that I ask. Um, and it says, you know, what type of questions I'm asking to see if they're a good person for it. You know, have they, have they tried any of the products before? If they've not, I mean, it doesn't mean that because they have not tried the products before that they would not be a good ambassador. Um, you know, but that helps me give a little bit more context to who it is that's filling out the application. Um, so then, you know, I just value their social media profiles. So I'd probably, if I'm handing off this task to somebody else, how to onboard them, what, what scripts and emails to send them to welcome them in to confirm that they're still interested because maybe they've filled out this application several weeks ago or several months ago, um, you know, making sure they're still interested in being an ambassador and it works for them at this season in their life, you know. Um, and so on how to onboard this individual into the program to make sure I'm clearly def- laying out and defining kind of how it's going to work um, in a step-by-step process and, you know, and touch base with them throughout that time that they're an ambassador over the next 30 days. But what's the what's the uh, first thing that you ask them to do? Like, what's expected of an ambassador? So, as an ambassador, just um, you know, I ask them to post to their own profile a couple times a couple times a week. I think it's like one to three times a week, um, you know, and authentically. So that's really important that they don't sound like a commercial, you know, an annoying pitch. Just authentically share what this product is that you've used and how it's helped you. That's all you have to share, you know, or maybe they're, maybe if they're a new, maybe they've not tried the product yet. Maybe they're just, they can repost something from my profile. You know, everybody reposts on Instagram all the time, different things, but maybe they've not tried it yet, but they want to repost something and give their thoughts and their opinions. Um, you know, so that's one thing that I, you know, I have to do. And then maybe just in, engage and have meaningful conversations with, um, with, with other potential customers that are like them, you know, but to be encouraging, not to be pitchy. So nobody likes to be pitched to. So to, if they find someone, you know, who is in their season of life and maybe it's, maybe it's another parent who is also cloth diapering and they love the baby balm salve that we make that's cloth diaper safe. We know it's safe for babies. Maybe they find them and they can say, oh my gosh, I love your cloth diapers. Like this is the salve that I use or this is what I like. You know, so, so trying to create a conversation. Um, and so if I notice, because I pay attention when I have ambassadors, the conversations that they're creating, if I find that they're not having um, an authentic conversation, it feels too pitchy, you know, I'll kind of gently and kindly go, Hey, you know, maybe let's try to rephrase some of the, the dialogue or the scripts that you're using. Um, Cause I don't want to annoy anybody <laughs> at all. So just, so that's why ha- it's not so easy to do every month because I want to make sure it seems authentic. And it, it's like, I want them to feel like they're replicating me essentially. It's what I would do. Um, so I want them to feel like if I can give them the tools and the scripts, and the way to to um, act on Instagram, you know, as an ambassador, um, that's what I'm trying to do within the program. Mm-hmm. What was an improvement that you you made to the ambassador program that that made it more more manageable? Um, well, when I first started it, I think I had a three month three month term, and that was way too long because it's hard to keep people's engagement for that long. As an ambassador, you know. Um, to be to sustain that relationship with them for three months. Um, so changing it to a one month time, I feel like that was really good and really helpful. So I felt like just changing to a 30 day cycle um, and then not trying, I used to try to do it every month and that was just too much. So you, I don't have to do it every month. You know, I don't, no one, there's no rule that I have to do this every single month that I always have to have active ambassadors. So if I go three months without having one, having any, that's absolutely okay. I can create my own rules and my own guidelines because it's my program and it's my company. Um, so giving myself that flexibility and that grace is also very important, you know? Um, so I felt like those were really good. And so now I'm still trying to um, use some tools to really get a little bit more systematized on about like, how do I measure the effectiveness of past ambassadors as well as potential ambassadors? So what social media tools are there that I can use to really tell if someone is going to be a good ambassador. So that's what I'm, I'm in the process now of trying to figure that out. What other kind of tools do you use today to on your store in terms of apps or, or off of your store in terms of social media tools you use that they depend on? Um, so some of the tools that I use, one I think is really neat is visual is, um, is an app called Luke's. Um, it's L-O-O-X. And so that is just a customer review that people leave. Um, so I've really enjoyed that one because I've been able to put, put all those um, reviews through that app 
harnessed on one page. And so I put, there's a living page where all the reviews live on my website. So someone searches Euphoric Herbals reviews, they're going to land up with that page. So Loose is one that I use. Of course, I use um, Privy to collect emails. So that's a really good tool as well. Um, let's see some other ones. And I also use, because the products that I use, they're consumable goods, you know, so it's a tea or a salve or a supplement. So I use another tool, um, bold subscription apps. So that's another one that has been really good to create recurring revenue. So those I think are probably some of the best apps that I would say that I think have had the most impact on my business. Got it. What would you say is your favorite part of your, your website? Um, well, I had it custom designed when I moved over to Shopify. So that was really nice before it was just templates and kind of meh, you know, and that felt so great. Um, I think now, um, a lot of people typically they can find things pretty easily. And so that was, I wanted to be able to make sure it was easily designed. Um, yeah, so I can't say there's best thing, but I just like it, the brand, offline and online from the product packaging feels the same. You know, so that's why I'm trying to create that whole customer experience from when they first come to the website, um, from when they get the actual products in the mail, that it feels the same, um, you know, and then so I'm trying to create that whole experience as well in the apothecary. So what does it feel like when they go to the website, to the store, to their products, they have the same experience. Why is that important? Um, well, I think for, for brand strength and brand identity, you know, so when someone is creating a, when someone gets my product, maybe they're going to, they're going to get the product from maybe a friend gives it to them and they've never had any experience with my brand whatsoever. They've never been to that website. They've never heard of it. So when they go to the website, they have, have a certain feel to it, you know, or so maybe if they come into the store, you know, and then they, it, it feels the same, you know, where it's not disjointed. Um, you know, so that's one reason why, um, I know people are searching actively for our products on Amazon, but I just can't go there just because I'm like, I lose that customer experience. I lose mm-hmm. that relationship that I get to have with them from, from emails, from website to product packaging, you know, that whole process that I'm trying to create. And that's always ever evolving. I'm always refining it um, so that they know what to expect anytime that they go there. And so that's why moving into retail and doing wholesale is is very challenging for me because I'm trying to think of every little facet and I, and I can't, you know, because I'm only one person, but to the best of my ability, you know, when someone goes into a store, when I start doing, you know, um, moving my products into the, into many markets, what is their experience with the brand? If they've never purchased my tea before online, they don't even know anything about my company or, or farmer's markets. We do a farmer's market every week. I have a, another girl that runs a farmer's market and trying to create that cohesive brand fill from the products, how they're displayed on table to the, um, to the tablecloths we use, to the printed marketing material, to everything. So it looks on brand all the time. And did you always, from the beginning, have a focus on that to make sure that you're on brand all the time? Or is it something that you went back to revisit and then cleaned up after you kind of built out the business a bit more? Yeah, I definitely did not think about that in the beginning. Because <laughs> it can kind of slow you down, right? If you're just so focused on making sure everything's consistent, it can really slow down on business. So yeah, I'm just curious when you decided to jump back into it. Yeah. Well, and it's so easy, I think, to to feel like you have to rush ahead and then slow down. Um, so, you know, in the beginning, it was I felt like I was just managing the day-to-day and putting out fires. I never thought much about my brand. I mean, I had a little bit of idea about, about branding and what that was like because I was a photographer. And so that was a whole branding thing. You know, when I was a photographer, I really fell in love with the idea of branding and marketing. And so that's been a tremendous asset to me as this business has grown. Um, and that was just tipping my toe in the water. And now it's a lot larger than that, I understand. Um, but it wasn't anything that I started in the beginning, you know, and um, it's something I probably didn't really start to think about probably in 2000, maybe 2013, when I really started thinking about that, you know. And so even now, um, I'm kind of in that mindset of, you know, branding colors, fonts, packaging, everything, you know, from offline to online, that it's all similar. You know, if I'm using certain color palettes, I'm not going to send something in the package that's not within my color palette. It doesn't make sense. I want them to have the same experience from even, you know, the the tissue paper that I buy. <laughs> it's the same brand colors um, from the product packaging and the fonts that I use and everything um, and the marketing materials. But it's all the same. It's all in harmony. 
Got it. So you mentioned that when you did move over to your own store, you guys had a custom design. Were there any specific conscious decisions that, that you made to make sure that the site was easy to navigate, easy to use? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, making sure, you know, um, I, there is a, the design firm that I use is Alidia. Um, and I had seen the work that they had done before and I could not afford them years ago. And I absolutely just loved their work. And so, um, making that conscious decision, it was really hard to make that investment, but I was like, you know what? I want a website that I feel like I'm going to absolutely love for years, for a couple of years, at least. I don't want to hire a designer that's, that's good, but I wanted to hire a great designer. Um, so being very intentional about that and I saved up for it. And so it was a tremendous investment, but it was a well worth investment. Um, you know, and so that they really got to know my brand and my customer base. Um, and so as they really dug into my brand, they were really helped me to um, kind of finesse the the online presentation of the store. You know, um, they didn't help me choose tools and apps and things like that and tell me what I should and shouldn't do. Um, but just kind of the layout and the ease of it. But I looked at their portfolio. So I knew what I was, I knew, I knew who I was hiring and the quality of work that I was going to get. Um, you know, and over time, I've just, I've added apps in tools, you know, um, as my business has grown to see which ones would and wouldn't work. I think I've, I've tried a couple like loyalty apps um, and that haven't really worked just yet. But at the same time, it's probably because I've not given enough attention. I've been so busy doing other things, but I've not really, um, really figured out how to utilize that tool or that app to the best of its ability. Got it. So thank you so much, Cindy. So Cindy Collins, euphoricherbals.com is the website. Where do you have your, uh, your vision casted for the next year? Where do you want to be? Well, um, so having the manufacturing um, well underway, we do most of in-house. And then, of course, um, we scale out our product production of our capsules. Um, but being more stores, the wholesale. So that's something that I'm really, as I've been this year, building systems infrastructure. So having our products in stores so that way people don't have to wait for shipping. They can just go to a store in their community and go buy some of our products. So that's a big part of it. And then growing um, our international as well. Awesome. And if anyone out there has any questions, make sure to just drop them in the comments on the show's show notes on the Shopify blog. And Cindy, would you be able to hop over there as, once this goes live to answer some questions that the audience might have? I'd be more than happy to. Awesome. Again, thank you so much again, Cindy. So euphoricherbals.com. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you, Felix. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify. To get your exclusive 30-day extended trial, visit shopify.com slash masters.